0: Today I'm starting a brand new summer sermon series that I'm calling Questions That Matter. Um, One of the things that that I have learned uh, in a couple decades of being in the ministry and and also in teaching um, is that questions matter. Asking the right questions in life matters. Um, Questions help us learn, they help us grow. They help us get clarification in our relationships. And so what I'm gonna do this summer is I'm gonna look at some questions that were raised by Jesus himself in the Gospels. Because if Jesus asked them, then I can only conclude that, that they're important, right? If we're Christians, we follow Jesus. If Jesus asks questions, then these must be important questions. And says, so What are some of the things that he asked? Well, I can't name them all. There's over 300 questions that you find in the Gospels. But Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? What is the truth? Remember that question to Pilate? Why do you worry? Why are you afraid? Why did you doubt? In John's gospel, to the man that was by the pool, do you want to be made well? What good is it just to love those who love you? What will it profit you to gain the whole world but forfeit your life? On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus asks roughly 307 questions. He gets asked about 180 questions, but he only answers about three of them. He doesn't give answers to most of the questions that he asks or is asked. Um, I'm recommending a book, as I usually do, to go with the series. It's a book called What Did Jesus Ask?, and it's got a lot of different Christian leaders that are reflecting on these questions. now. You're going to have a hard time getting a hard copy of this book for whatever reason. It's not that many that are in print, but you can get it on Kindle or your iPad uh, for like $10. So this is a great book uh, for your devotional life with many different uh, authors, and I lift that up. But today, I'm going to start with what I think is perhaps the most profound question in religious history, and that is Jesus' question in the Sermon on the Mount where he says... Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you do not recognize the log in your own eye? Put differently, why do you point out what's wrong with everybody else, but you never take the time to work on your own stuff? You like that paraphrase? You know, I've been going to church my whole life. Um, My dad's a minister. My grandfather's a minister. My great-grandfather was a minister. Going to church was never an option for me. So next month, it'll be 43 years of consistent church going. You know, either my parents took me, actually for college, I had a choice and I wasn't as regular as I should have been. But my parents took me and then I went to seminary and I worked in the church and then I was in ministry. So I'm a church goer. Um, But you know what I've figured out after many years of, of, um, of of, of being a part of churches and in churches? Here's what I figured out. Churches are not perfect. Why is that? They're not perfect because they're led by imperfect people, human beings. Um, We all have flaws. We all have shortcomings. And so over my life, I've watched people come and go from churches for various reasons. I've watched friends who grew up in the church decide to never come back and I've watched people who who never went to church make a decision later in life to follow Jesus Christ and become really involved in the church. And, and I've watched people get mad over over petty things that really weren't that big of a deal. Uh, remember the story I've told you before about the man who was on the island? Some of you, if you've been a Woodmont a while, this guy was on an island, and he, he was in a plane crash, and he lived, and he had to live on this island. Well, he finally rescued the guy. I think of the movie Castaway. And so before they— uh, they picked him up. He said, I'd like to give you a tour of this island. I've been living here for a few years and it's going to be hard for me to leave. So they said, Sure. And he walked him over and there was a bamboo hut. And he said, they said, What's this? This is my house. This is where I've lived. You know, it's kept me dry and warm. And then they walked over to another kind of larger hut and he said, What's this? This is my church. This is where I worship. Kind of odd, just one of me in the congregation, but this is where I've been. And then they pointed over to another bamboo hut and they said, well, what's that over there? And he said, oh yeah, that's the church that I used to go to before I got mad and left. <laughs> one guy on the island. But in all years of ministry and growing up in the church, here's what I have concluded. The one thing that seems to hurt the church more than just about anything else besides conflict is judgment. Christians judging other Christians and non-Christians based on the things that they have done or heard. Judgment is like the Achilles heel of Christianity. And I've always had a hard time personally reconciling this with the concept of grace. Because we, we believe in a God who loves us and who accepts us no matter what, no matter what we've done, no matter what our past might be, no matter what our mistakes have been. But, but, but we also believe that there's a standard that we're supposed to live up to as Christians. And so we're supposed to love each other and forgive each other and give each other new beginnings. And, and sometimes that can be hard for us as people. But when it comes to judgment, here's the question. How do we keep from judging other people while at the same time still holding each other accountable for our words and our actions? How do we keep from judging each other but still feel free to honestly say, I I, I think that what you did was wrong. I think that what you did was hurtful. How do we do both? How do we reconcile judgment and accountability? The judgment's done a lot of damage to the Christian faith when polls are taken among non-Christians and even younger people, Generation Z. They say, what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? What do they say? They say, well, Christians are judgmental. Even Christians that go to church will say, Christians are judgmental. And they look at, you know, how other people will judge their lifestyle or judge who they are or judge some part of their life. And so many people would say that the Christians feel better than others or act better than others because they act judgmental. Judgment's done a lot of damage. Judgment has kept many people away from Jesus. But isn't it ironic that one of his most consistent teachings during his life and ministry was, do not judge so that you may not be judged. The measure you give will be the measure you get. But many who claim to follow Christ remain incredibly judgmental Now, we have to differentiate some different understandings of judgment, right? There's um, this one concept of judgment where we basically analyze situations in life. You want your kids to be good judges of character. You you, you size things up. Um, If you look up the word, this definition says, the process of forming an opinion or an evaluation by discerning and comparing. So we want our kids to be good judges of character. But then there's another definition that says the final judging of humankind by God. And it's this definition that I think Jesus is reminding us should only be reserved for God, not us. The first definition of judgment, part of who we are, discerning, analyzing, comparing, reacting. It's part of how we function. And if somebody comes walking towards Justin with a board and he's going to swing, Justin might want to make a judgment and duck, right? Or get out of the way. If somebody only wants to be your friend because of what they can get out of you and out of the relationship, you have to make a judgment if it's worth being that person's friend, right? But what we don't need to do when it comes to faith is try to play the role of God in determining the eternal fate of other people. There are many religious leaders and people in our day and age that try to do that, and there's really no need for it. Jesus says only God can judge. And to be honest with you, I'm thankful that only God can judge because I don't really want that responsibility, the eternal responsibility. Someone asks me if I'm going to heaven, I tell them that I believe that I'm saved. I have every assurance that I'm saved. But ultimately, I think it's God's call, not mine. Certainly not somebody else's call or some TV preacher's call to tell me if I'm going to heaven or not. So we look at our scripture this morning from Matthew seven. There's some things that need to be lifted up. The first one is this. Jesus says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. If you don't wanna be judged, then don't judge others. He then goes further. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye? but you do not acknowledge the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. You see, we have this natural tendency sometimes to look for what is wrong with everybody else. Before we take an honest look in the mirror to see what needs fixing in our own lives or in our own hearts. It's so much easier, isn't it, to point out what's wrong with everybody else and their shortcomings and their flaws than to face what's going on here. It's easy to blame other people for our problems. It's much more difficult to look in the mirror and admit that we don't have it all together. We have our own issues, that we're not perfect. It's hard to do. And so most of the time, we just don't do it. We just point out what's wrong with everybody else because that's easy, that's fun. Secondly, in life, we tend to reap what we sow. Jesus says, with the judgment you make, you will be judged and the measure you give will be the measure you get. You see, life has a way of coming full circle. Some people call it karma. I just call it the way that the world works. We shouldn't judge others because we don't know all the facts of another person's life. We don't know what they're dealing with or going through or struggling with. We don't know if maybe they're a a, a parent that lost a child this spring and you'd have no idea. I refer to this as invisible baggage. It's stuff that we all carry, but nobody knows what it is because you just don't know everything about other people. You know, every week we meet as a staff on Wednesday and we take the connection card that's in your bulletin that you put in the offering plate and we take those prayer requests and we lift them up uh, to a person um, and if it's ministers only, then just the ministers get it. And and, you know, it's really humbling to see all the different things that that people are struggling with in the church, Um, you know, cancer, divorce, loss of a job, financial hardships, family members battling depression, infertility, miscarriages, broken relationships, the loss of a loved one, being bullied at school, their child, and the list goes on. Those are just the people that take the time to fill it out. No telling how many other prayer requests there are that are on people's hearts and minds. And we read it every week, and I'm telling you, it's humbling. Sometimes it's overwhelming. The fact is, if we realized how difficult and challenging life can be for some people, then we'd probably be less likely to judge and more likely to help. If we understood how broken and discouraged some people are, then we'd be more likely to cut them some slack and less likely to rake them over the coals. And I'm convinced that every person has good inside of them, It's just that life has a way of beating people down and covering that good up. And that's why we all need the grace and the love and the hope that God offers to us through Christ. It's unconditional, it's unearned. And when we think that we have it so bad, sometimes we need to look around and see what some other people are dealing with. And that will remind us that that we don't struggle alone and that it also might just put our problems into perspective. The third take away from this text. Let's be honest and let's recognize that coming to terms with our own shortcomings is not easy. It's a process. Paul writes to the Romans, I don't understand my own actions. I do the very thing that I hate. This is the human predicament. This is the human dilemma. But we have to try. And we have to have people in our lives that we can get honest feedback from. So some of you remember my homework assignment to you. You wanna do this to begin the summer, find two or three people in your life that you trust and love and tell them that you want three compliments, things that you do well, and you want one thing that you don't do very well that you need to work on. And I promise you, you're gonna be thinking about the one thing, but let them build you up first and then get the one piece of advice that you need and that will help you grow. Because if we can never get honest feedback from the people in our lives about what we need to do better, then we're not gonna grow. When I do my review every year and I ask the board chair and the personnel chair, I say, what do I need to hear to do better? And sometimes they're tentative, like I don't wanna hurt his feelings, you know? No, tell me, tell me. Because I know you're thinking about something or some things, that's how we grow. You know, all of us have something we can work on. Uh, Emotional intelligence is a field that I am kind of enamored with. I try to incorporate it into my my classes at Vanderbilt and some work I've done with high school seniors. But but remember, emotional intelligence involves self-awareness and self-regulation and motivation, empathy and social skills. But we can't be afraid to confront our own weakness because we all have them. And it takes humility and courage to do that. Lastly, in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few verses after this passage on judgment, Jesus gives us our marching orders. It's one of the best rules for living that we could ever hope to hear. It's a timeless ethic for life. It it, it could become, it should become our personal mission statement. Verse 12, he says, in everything in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this is the law and the prophets. Think about how the world would be different if people could actually live that and not just say, I know the golden rule. Yes, but do you live it? Now, notice Jesus didn't say it in the negative. He didn't say, do not do to others what you would not have them do to you. He said, do to others as you would have them do to you. This is a much more challenging proposition. This takes initiative and effort. This is a proactive commandment. So forgive if you want to be forgiven. And help if you want to be helped. And be merciful if you want to be shown mercy. Listen if you want to be heard. Understand, if you want to be understood, love if you want to be loved. Put others first, if you want other people to put you first. Pray for others if you want them to pray for you. Go and be a friend if you want to have any friends. You See, if people in our world live by this, then I'm convinced that we could eliminate so many of the petty problems that we deal with. Some people in our culture want to treat others a certain way, but then they want to be treated differently themselves. They want to be the exception. Jesus says, no, it doesn't work that way. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And not just some of the time, but all of the time. Christian author Chuck Swindle tells the story of a young boy who lived with his grandfather high up in the Swiss Alps. And often, just to hear the echo of his own voice, the boy would go outside, he'd cup his hands around his mouth, and he'd shout into the mountains, Hello! 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 Hear the echo. Then he'd say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. One time, he got in trouble and his grandfather was really mad at him and scolded him. And so reacting violently, the the, the boy uh, took his fist and he screamed out, I hate you. And he heard, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And he got to hear how that felt. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Talk to others the way you want them to talk to you. Don't judge if you don't want to be judged. These are simple rules for living that Jesus makes abundantly clear, and it's up to us to listen and to obey. And so he asks, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you fail to recognize the log in your own eye? Tough stuff. Amen.